one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number 1 in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The Other Hand is part of the Acast Creator Network. Hi everyone, great to be back for the latest edition of The Other Hand. Jim is still away, sunning himself on a beach in somewhere on the Mediterranean, I suspect. So today I have a very special guest, one who's been on the pod before to discuss all things sport actually in the past, but today I've got Nathan Johns in the studio. Irish Times journalist and regular sporting commentator here on the other hand. And today, of course, we're going to be talking about all things Rugby World Cup. The day that we're recording it is about 36 hours, I think, before the first game, which Nathan will correct me if I'm wrong, is France versus New Zealand is the opening game. And we'll talk a little bit about that in a moment. But first, for context and a sort of broader discussion about the role of sport in all of our lives. I was looking at a review of an interesting book about the 1998 Les Bleus uh, sorry, soccer World Cup winning team 25 years ago now. This team was famously nicknamed Noir Blanc Bleu, which in English is Black White Arab, because it symbolized, in a way, a moment of hope and glory for France as a nation, for reconciliation with itself. It was, and to a certain extent still is, a very troubled country, as many of our nations are, with all sorts of divisions, not least in France, ethnic divisions as a result of empire and all the things that go with that. Somebody wrote a book called Sport and Society in Global France, a guy called Cahill Kilkline, sounds Irish, I don't know who he is, and this article in today's London Times takes a look at that and asks the question, can the unity, can the healing that that soccer team of 25 years ago produced in France, well, to the extent that it did, and there certainly was something, I think, tangible back then, 
Can it be reproduced by the rugby team of 2023, particularly if they actually manage to lift the World Cup? And we'll talk about their chances of that in a moment. But do you think there are parallels between 25 years ago and today, Nathan? Yes and no. Uh, It's it certainly, the World Cup is, it has taken over the country to an extent. There's a lots of Irish journalists, obviously, over in France at the minute, most of them for the rugby, but quite a few of them also there for a soccer match, which takes place on Thursday evening between the Republic of Ireland and France in the Euro 2024 qualifiers, which is slipped in under the radar largely over here because of the World Cup focus. And that's in Paris as well. It's not in the Stade de France. It's in Parc de France, which is where Paris Saint-Germain play. And one of the football journalists I follow on Twitter put a picture up of today's front page of the French daily newspaper L'Equipe. And he said it's the first time all week that it hasn't been rugby on the front page. And it's purely because France are playing Ireland in football tonight. So football is obviously the number one over there. But for the last week or so, the coverage of that match, and it's a big European European qualifier, it's not a friendly, has been put to the side largely up until the day of the actual game. So I think that paints a bit of a picture of the way this is being portrayed. And look, from a French point of view, it's hard this could it could be a, a sports media bubble echo chamber. If you're a sports journalist, you of what of any sport in France, you've been told for the last four years that France have just been gearing up for this World Cup, and you know they've they've sacrificed Six Nations campaigns by blooding younger players. They've it's all been about building up the squad and building up the talent reserve for this moment. So if if you're in a media ecosystem where that's the narrative the whole time, it's very hard to then not become completely all encompassed by it when it actually comes around. To what extent it's taking over the country, I don't know. Obviously, if, if the papers are talking about it all the time, that's going to have some sort of effect. Rugby's not as big as football. The French rugby team has done a better job of reaching out to the kind of the northern Parisian suburbs, Le Bonneau, that, that the French team, that the French football team has historically recruited very well from, and not just the French football team. I mean, if you look at Moroccan and Algerian football teams, there's a lot of kids some of those areas as well but rugby in France is still a predominantly small town southwest village sport and there was a brilliant article again in the London Times about Anton Dupont's small village you know 20 kilometers outside of Toulouse or whatever and that's that's the heartland of rugby that's where the majority of the squad comes from there are a few players who don't come from that catchment area in the squad more than there have been in the past so it certainly does have the ability to to get more people involved and if France do make a run to the final a hell of a lot of people in the country will watch. But I don't think it can be on the same scale as as football, purely just because of the numbers game. Football is far more popular, as we know. Do you know what the bookies' odds are for who's going to win? No, no I'm, not, I'm not a gambler. I'm not a gambling man, no, I suspect. No, I'm not, I'm not a gambler either, but they, they seem to have it very close between France, New Zealand, South Africa and Ireland. Not necessarily in that order. The one bookie I looked at, I haven't checked the most immediate odds, I think they're moving around. Shades New Zealand as just about the favourite, closely followed by South Africa, closely followed by France, and then fourth favourite in the odds is Ireland. And that, that's, of course, doesn't correspond to world rugby rankings. I suspect it might have something to do with the peculiar nature of the way in which the pool games have fallen and in the way in which the two sides of the draw are so unequal. Can you talk us through a little bit about that inequality and the way it's happened and why it's happened? Well, the only reason why it happened is because the draw for the pool stages takes place two years before the actual tournament, in theory, so to, as to give travelling, well, they say it's for fans, governing bodies never make any decisions on behalf of their fans. It's so travelling delegations and sponsors, really, 
can get their travel plans booked in good order and they know exactly what city they're going to what you know where their team is going to be based for the tournament i think ireland start in bordeaux before then moving up to paris so for example the irish delegation knows that and then as, as a result of that draw taking place so early so it took place two years ago and um, it's based on the world rankings from two years ago which are obviously very very different to what they are now ireland was kind of just at the start of the Andy Farrell rejuvenation at that stage, um, they hadn't hit the peaks that they have now. Equally, I think New Zealand were probably not as strong as they were now. France certainly were. I think I can't remember if it, if the if if it had taken the draw had taken place before or after France's Grand Slam in in twenty twenty two. But the sense was, you know, France obviously are trying to peak towards this. So yeah, that at that the the world rankings at the time, which would have meant that you know Ireland were there wouldn't have been one there would have been four or five which means that they're more likely to get thrown into a pool with a one which is it would have been South Africa at the time in all likelihood so that's why that's happened I think Scotland are also in the world's top five at the minute whereas they wouldn't have been a few years ago they've had a good two years so as a result of that you've got three of the world's top five teams at the minute in the same pool which if the draw was going to happen today couldn't happen but of course the world rankings two years ago um, allowed that allowed for that scenario I've just looked up the current odds. As I say, they shift all the time. New Zealand are just about, according to this list, favourites at three to one. You see, I, uh, I, France, I, think that's I think out of those four teams, New Zealand are comfortably the weakest out of the four favourites. Interesting. Um, so you disagree with the bookies. France are the second, just about, very close behind at seven to two, which, which thinking about New Zealand's three to one, it's three and a half to one for France. So the odds are very similar. South Africa are third favourites at nine to two or four and a half to one. So you can see the way the odds are getting slightly longer each time. And Ireland are fourth favourites at five to one. So it's very close at the top. I think if you were a statistician, you would say that those odds are nearly indistinguishable and that any one of those four teams could actually win it. But we also have the paradox that because of that incredibly tight, one-sided draw of this World Cup, at least one of those teams, and I'm looking at Ireland actually, but not just Ireland, might not even get it out of the group stage. Is that is that a fair thing to say or a ridiculous thing to say? It's an absolutely fair thing to say. I think it's unlikely. I think you know Ireland can lose to South Africa and still beat Scotland and, and still be comfortably out of their pool. But by all means, you know we've, we've talked about the Scots have had a good run of late without necessarily winning that many big games. But you know they're a better side than England these days. They pushed France close a couple of times in World Cup warm-ups. They obviously, you know, for an hour or so pushed Ireland close in Murrayfield during the Six Nations when Ireland famously had no hookers on the pitch and Josh Van der Feer was throwing in lineouts and Keane Healy was scrummaging at hooker. But that said, I mean, the smart bet, if we're still talking along those lines, would be for Ireland to to be able to work past Scotland, given they played them so much recently and were in the end pretty comfortable in their most recent encounter. Um, and just the way they're set up as well. They, they, Scotland are historically a side that Ireland probably can physically bully a little bit not to the extent they could a few years ago but still in a tight World Cup kind of game that will ultimately be a knockout side for one of those two teams in all odds by the time that fixture comes along because Scotland are, are likely to have well, Ireland could easily have lost to South Africa by then uh, or beaten of course in a tight knockout game you tend to go with the side who has more physical presence and, and that certainly would be Ireland so it's but I, by no means not an unfair an unfair statement, but I don't think it's a likely um, outcome that Ireland don't get out of their pool. You mentioned when we were talking about that list of odds of the top four teams, at least according to the bookmakers, that although New Zealand were just about the favourites to win, to lift the World Cup, that you think they're the weakest of the four. Why is that? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think out of the four sides, again, you look at that PowerPoint, the PowerPoint, the the, the issue, the topic of, of power and physicality and collision dominance and, and all that stuff that is the baseline of the game and then everything kind of spreads out from that. I think New Zealand are the physically, especially in the forwards, the, the weakest side in that department out of those four sides. I mean, France and South Africa are always going to be massive. France are down a few bodies, actually, at least at the start of the tournament, which makes that issue an interesting one and we'll find out a that's lot that's through injury whether. is it rather than suspension yeah so they're missing their they're missing their prop guy called Cyril Bai he's, he's an absolute monster they're missing their South African born second row Paul Willems uh, people might remain he, he's actually more famous now because of the guy they've called up to replace him is apparently a racist and there's an investigation going into that people may or may not have seen that's, but that's a different issue so they're missing two massive monster forwards for them and then they're, they're 12 Jonathan Dante is you know, as much as it's Antoine Dupont show, he's the the fulcrum of their attack in that he just gets them over the gain line every time on every every set piece and, and launches their attack um for the likes of Dupont to, to cause havoc behind. So the fact he's not playing is is massive, as is those two forwards. Now, those are three arguably France's most powerful athletes. And that does level the playing field for that New Zealand game tomorrow night, which is going to be really intriguing. But yeah, I, I say that because, you know, Ireland don't get bullied by bigger teams anymore. That was the the beginning of the Andy Farrell era slash end of the Joe Schmidt era, that was the constant stick with which this Ireland side was, was beaten with, that they just come up against the likes of an England or a South Africa and they just get bullied off the park and Sexton would always be getting terrible ball on the back foot. He's got three forwards in his face because there's no momentum every time he catches it, that type of thing. That doesn't happen anymore. Ireland have shifted the profile of their pack. They've promoted a number of younger players a number of guys have changed positions and another guy, a number of guys have just put on some mass and some bulk. And their pack is significantly, not just more powerful, but more dynamic and explosive um, than it used to be. And that that has been, the as much as Ireland's attacking game has, has launched upwards through the likes of James Lowe and Mac Hansen, that, uh, that forward pack changing uh, their athletic profile has been massive. And I think you put that, and that's why Ireland won in New Zealand last year. They absolutely dominated, not in the first test when they lost, but the second two tests, they absolutely dominated and played New Zealand off the park from a forwards point of view in, in the, on New Zealand's home patch. And I think Ireland are not a historically big side. France and, New Ze- France and South Africa are. Um, and again, in tight knockout matches, that more often than not is the is the indicator of, of who will be in the best place to succeed. Now, New Zealand, as well as anyone, can break a game open from, from any point, uh, any position on the park. But uh, I think, especially in a... We'll, we'll put it this way we'll find out a lot about New Zealand tomorrow night I think the hype around them has come from the fact that they dominated the rugby championship the Southern Hemisphere's Six Nations equivalent during the summer I think that was a pretty average competition I think South Africa were nowhere near playing as well as they are now um, I don't buy the Eddie Jones Australia hype and I think New Zealand did just enough to kind of get by and get a, run up a few scores late on a few consolation tries the other way and I don't think that they played against sides bar when South Africa blew them out of the water last week and South Africa are peaking definitely I don't think they played the caliber of sides of Ireland and New Zealand uh, Ireland and France and that's why I think they're um, power wise that's why they're bottom of that list you mentioned the term bullying and I think you explained it to me there it's obviously it's a term I've heard used many times over 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 many years in the old days it used to be uh, bullying used to be what happened uh, out of sight of the referee at the bottom of a ruck or in in a buried mall or scrum uh, essentially amounted to just pure physicality of both legal and illegal kinds you mentioned there that it's extended if it is anything if it is any of those things still to the present day which i suspect you're going to say it isn't because if not least because of the presence of the tmo and multiple cameras 
bullying is now about both size, power and athleticism. Would that be right? Yeah, and, and I think it's, it's, it's crucial. The, the last point is, is the crucial one because Ireland are so good because they manipulate the ball to get their bigger carriers running through soft shoulders rather than strong defensive lines, if that makes sense. So their ability to, it's one of those rugby cliches, but their ability to get close to the, to the collision, the line, and to shift the point of contact. So, you know, a little bit of footwork, one little tip on pass, and you've got the likes of Caelan Doris or Dan Sheehan, two of those bigger boys that they've managed to get into the setup. Um, if you can think, if you can compare Dan Sheehan, well, he's injured, he's not going to start this weekend, but when he does get back to full fitness, compare the size of him to Rory Best for, for Ireland's starting hooker last time out. It's it's night and day. And that's the type of shift that I'm talking about. But Ireland do a very good job, either with their forward play, their, their footwork, their handling, to get those big ball carriers running at a defender who last minute has to change the decision he makes as to who he goes for. And that's all you need to do to then make sure you win the game line and get a, and, and make ground. Um, and that's what Ireland are better at than almost anyone else, I think, um, in their attacking play. Um, they're not bigger than everyone else. They, they have gotten bigger, but they're still not the biggest. They're just very good at making sure, because it doesn't matter how big you are, if you're 120 kilos and you have a split second to change from one t- ball carrier to another, and that ball carrier is quite large, it doesn't even if you are quite large yourself, you're going to be knocked backwards. Uh, and, that's, and that's, you know, from a very simplistic point of view, that's what Ireland have done. Um, and that's kind of what we're talking about here with the fact that they are better at manipulating opportunities to, to be able to bully sides with their forward play. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Do you think we learned much from the summer series of games that we've just seen, not just between the home nations? And I'm obviously thinking about my home country, Wales, and our our joint affections for, for Ireland. But of course, the English rugby camp is said to be in huge turmoil and South Africa massacred the All Blacks. A lot to unpick there. What would be your top three takeaways, if there are any key takeaways from any of that? Or was it a phony war? It's always a phony war to some extent because you have Southern Hemisphere teams coming off the end of their season. So they've been playing good, hard, competitive rugby for quite a while now. And you have the Northern Hemisphere teams playing right at the start of their season. So they don't have the cohesion that comes from being match-hardened, so to speak, during those series. Now, at this point, there's kind of no excuse. Everyone more or less should have caught up to speed by now. Uh, But during those summer games. So there's a little bit of phony war. You can read a little bit too much into it. But equally, Ireland, in 2019, Ireland struggled 
against an English side in Twickenham and then they put about put 50 points on them because they couldn't deal with the the line speed and physicality and, and set piece dominance of an English side and then lo and behold in a quarter final against New Zealand they get physically outmatched and, and get dominated so there are trends you can spot I mean the English and Welsh trends are you know, they're two very average sides and Wales case probably a poor side look that's not rocket science. We knew that before the summer series based on last year's Six Nations. Those will probably be the case again. England will get out of their pool just because their pool is slightly easier. Wales face a massive uphill task to get out of their pool given Fiji are playing very well. And that was one of the bigger takeaways I took when Fiji beat England at Twickenham. Fiji have always been very good at the flair, so to speak, the ability to score tries from nowhere. But now they've shored up their set piece. They've shored up their the more fundamental aspects of their game. And that would that means, you know, they'll put it up to Wales and that'll be a really interesting contest. And I think that's, I, I think that Sunday, the key change for me there has been the rule change that allows all their old, all black players uh, to come that back. Hasn't affected, that hasn't affected Fiji as much. That's affected Tonga and Samoa plenty. Uh, Fiji have been a little bit more fortunate in that they haven't had the same, they have, they've had, let's put this, don't, don't get me wrong. There's plenty of Fijian born players that play in Australia and New Zealand, but not, in this cycle, necessarily, loads of Tongan All Blacks. Um, Charles Pieta has gone back. Via Fafita has gone back. There's been a few others. Samoa as well. Um, their out half was capped for Australia in the most recent Lions tour to Australia in 2013. He's playing for Samoa. So, it, it, yes, it helps. Uh, it hasn't helped Fiji anywhere near to the extent of their other Pacific Island nations. But to answer your previous question, that was a huge takeaway because I hadn't watched Fiji in a considerable time. So, watching them in that Twickenham game, go, okay, hang on. This is a much better constructed Fiji side. They're always incredibly talented, but it's a very well-constructed side. So they could do some damage. Um, but equally, look, anytime Warren Gatland has had an eight-week block with the Welsh side to get them up to scratch, they have overperformed. It's held that they've had two or three world-class players in every team that he's ever had. You can't say that now, but they have. And he is, he's, he's a good coach who knows how to construct game plans around the limitations of his side. So, that, there might be something in that. Wales might spring an upset. But in terms of the other sides, no. I, I always thought New Zealand would struggle once the more powerful sides got up and running. South Africa completely blitzed them at Twickenham. Now, I don't think New Zealand are as bad as that scoreline suggests. And I do think they would be very competitive. But um, I think that's there was certainly a blueprint given there from that South African side as to, as to how to go about playing them. Should Ireland come against them in a the quarterfinal? Which, of course, is, is reasonably likely. Okay. And... Who out of that four teams with very close odds is Nathan John's favourite to win? You That's look a very at it, unfair question because obviously we're going to find out and I'm going to take the mick because you're inevitably going to be wrong as we always are with these things. But um, at the moment, based on you know everything that you're thinking and seeing, which of those, I if I, you're not a gambling man, but if I force you to put a tenor on one of those teams, which one would you put the tenor on? Well, you'd put it on France because their injuries have lengthened their odds. And if they get one or two of those guys back towards the back end of the tournament, all of a sudden those odds will shrink and you made a good bet when the odds were, were more favourable. Um, I did That, that centre, Jonathan Dante, he's critical. He's supposed to be coming back. If he comes back, that changes their attacking game massively and it allows the Duponts, the Jalibers, the Damien Penos, those guys to completely flourish um, behind first phase line-out ball. France are the side with the fewest the fewest amount of glaring weaknesses, closely followed by Ireland. I think for that reason, you'd have to go with France. They just, you know, they've got the power aspect. Their set piece is good. Their attacking game is good. Their kicking game is good. They've got an excellent controller of the game at nine and 10, even though Intermac is injured. Jalibert is still, Matthew Jalibert, the replacement, is still a very good game manager and a good attacker. 
Um, and they can have a bit, they have plenty of players with the ability to break a game open if game plans go wrong or it's a tight game and you need one moment of brilliance uh, to, to, to spark things. Uh, France have all those things. Ireland have all those things too. Maybe not so much the game-breaking ability as France, but the one area of concern if you were an Irishman would be um, depth. If two or three players, Caelan Doris goes down, I think Ireland are in a whole world of trouble, Jack Conan or otherwise. I just don't think he's he's replaceable. Uh, funnily enough, I think he's more important to their chances than Johnny Sexton. Equally, if, if Furlong goes down or if Dan Sheen goes down, again, there's replacements there, but they're just not quite, they're not the, the calibre. Those guys can win Ireland a World Cup. The guys below them, as good as they are, I don't, I wouldn't be as confident with. And the other glaring weakness for Ireland is the scrum. Andrew Porter does from time to time get in trouble if they do play South Africa, both in the group stage and towards the back end of the tournament. Again, tight knockout game, scrum penalties, South Africa go 3 6 9 12 that can be an issue. Uh, it can be an issue against the French side as well. South Africa have weaknesses in that they're missing their best back, Lucan Yuam, although they, the guy who stepped up has been good. And equally, I just, I still think they're a little bit one-dimensional. They're trying to get away from this pure power kicking territory game. I think they might have left it a little bit too late to be able to flourish with a better attacking game in such a big tournament, but we'll see. Um, and New Zealand, I, th- I think the power deficit is is massive, um, a, weakness, a weakness for them. Relatively speaking, they're still a bloody good side. So for those reasons, I think France have the fewest holes now. France okay. could do what France of two, three years ago did, and once every second game, do something incredibly stupid, red cards, home pressures. You always have to worry about that with a French side, but this French side is so well coached. I think they're the least likely of all the French sides to to get into those mental mind-boggling decisions that they sometimes come up with. Put it this way, they're the most un-French French team. Uh, in terms of the mental aspect of the game, now a home World Cup might change that. That's the, but that's the only glaring weakness, and it's not something we've seen from them for a few years. So this World Cup is going to take place over a, a very long number of weeks, isn't it? I mean, we're well into October by the time we get to the final. What yeah. is the? Do, do you remember the date? May to the? Do you remember the date of the I think final? It's the middle middle of October. I'll look at it here as I speak to you. But the reason why is because they're making sure that every team gets a minimum of five days between each game. Because I think the tier two nations were complaining last in the last tournament they were asked to play, you know, games every three or four days or something. Whereas the tier one nations got a full week off and that sort of thing. It's a player welfare thing. Um, oh, that that makes a lot of sense. October twenty eighth is the final. So it's a, it's a, it's almost two months. It's, yeah, it's the bones of two months. Yeah, which is uh, it's it's incredible, really. The thing that I would like to do with you, Nathan, over the next few weeks, um, if not over those two months, is as each set of games goes by have a chat with you to dissect some of the more interesting aspects of those games obviously focusing on the teams that we are most interested in um in my case it's wales in your case it's ireland and of course i am very interested in ireland but one of the things that uh, we haven't discussed too much today has been that the almost um certainly from the headlines you describe it as disintegration of english rugby and so it's going to be very interesting to watch um that uh, once world cup winning World Cup finalist team, how far how far they progress? Well, just one thing about that for this weekend, they picked a guy at scrum half who initially didn't even make the World Cup squad, which I think is a sign of Steve even Borthwick himself, who by all account the, the, the head coach of England, who by all accounts is a very calm, sturdy operator. 
even he is a little bit frazzled by everything that's going on in it because he was given like he was given a hospital pass taking over from Eddie Jones less than 12 months out from the World Cup but he's picked his 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 fourth choice scrum half to start this weekend having initially left him out which I think is a sign of you know the man who's willing to say yeah, I got a selection call wrong initially by leaving him out of the squad but equally it's a guy who's whose heads I think it's a, his headspace isn't he, he doesn't know what he's thinking no he doesn't know what not that, that sounds quite you know, uh, straight jacket type behavior, but it's not, it's, he, he doesn't know what his best side is. And uh, he, there's a constant flip-flopping, whereas you contrast that with Ireland, whereas anything going to happen to Andy Farrell knows exactly what he wants, who's playing that, where, you know, he, he probably got his side mapped out for most of the pool stages, injury dependent. And it's just that, that issue of being settled. And I think that's the biggest indicator is when it, those, that lack of settled decision-making starts to come out I think you can tell it's a man under pressure uh, and for a guy now full credit to the correct full credit to the player Alex Mitchell he's gone from missing out on the World Cup squad to starting the first an injury meant he got called up to starting the first match but I think that's a massive indicator of the coach is constantly flip-flopping he's forced into making decisions all the time because he's not he's not getting any any level of consistency or solidity from his players and and that's kind of a, a sign of a crack i think in in the in the mental headspace and once your coach is doing that there's you can be sure that that permeates down through the players absolutely okay nathan so if you're in agreement we'll get you back to dissect uh, some of the games um uh, probably around about this time next week um, when we've had quite a few to look at um but there's an awful lot to look forward to isn't there yeah it's exciting it's exciting uh Purely because, you know, we don't watch a lot of some of the more interesting nations. Uh, you know, we don't get to see Fiji play Wales very often in an environment where Fiji are expected to win, to give one example. And that's that's the most exciting part about these sorts of games. Um, you know, France New Zealand is obviously going to be an absolute belter. But, you know, we're going to get plenty of those games towards the back end of the tournament. It's the, you know, who who do we have no clue who he was? That just comes out of nowhere and plays a blinder for a you know, a Fiji or a Portugal are in this tournament, for example. That's 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 arguably the more exciting part of the first few weeks. And then the novelty wears off and it gets into the, the heavyweight stuff, um, for sure. But obviously, to start off with France, New Zealand is, you know, up there with the with the best possible permutations. And somebody's had a very good scheduling day when that fixture was, was picked um, a couple of weeks ago, or a couple of years ago, rather. So, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's very exciting. Well, I'm looking forward to that and looking forward to speaking to you some more over the next few weeks. Cheers, mate. You have been listening to Chris Johns and Jim Power on the other hand. We hope you enjoyed it. Our back catalogue of podcasts can be found on our Substack account, www.cjpeconomics.substack.com or on podcast platforms such as Apple and Spotify. If you would like to listen to the podcast free of advertisements, you can sign up to our Substack account. Comments and feedback are much appreciated. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.